Hey. Where's Catherine? Up in her room, probably texting all of her friends, telling her what an awful parent I am. We had a fight, a big one. You and Catherine, about what? Well, you might think that she wants you to go on some crazy spring break trip, or, oh, I don't know, bring home a boy that I don't like. But no, no, not Catherine. Our daughter comes home to tell us that she wants to study abroad this summer in Beirut. Oh, that. <laughs> Do you know where Beirut is? It's in Lebanon. Do you know where Lebanon is? It's in the Middle East, and next to Lebanon is Syria. A and right next to Syria is Iraq. Our daughter would be going to Iraq. Uh, wait a minute. Did you know about this? Well, at Christmas she showed me a website. It, it, I didn't know how serious she was, and I didn't want to freak you out. Who's freaking out? Look, uh, it's with a missions organization, right? Well, yes, I guess so, but she's not studying to be a missionary, is she? No, she's studying political science. So if she wants to study abroad or she wants to have an internship this summer, she should go to Washington or, or London, someplace safe, someplace where they don't kill you just to make a point. I know, I'm with you. I thought she'd let this go. I don't think I'd feel very good putting her on that plane. I don't think I'd sleep the entire summer. When she showed me that website, she said she thought it was something the Lord was putting on her heart. Oh, that's ridiculous. He's certainly not putting anything on my heart. <laughs> the people over there, they're, they're not like us, Jim. I mean, Catherine would be like a, a, a walking American flag. Do you really want to send our little girl to the Middle East? Well, she's 20. Oh. <laughs> and I wouldn't, okay. no. But I think the question we need to ask is, uh, what if God would? How do you know? How do you know if God is calling you to do something anyway? Beats me. I, uh, I, I seem to only ask the question on the really big issues, right? Like when we moved to Massachusetts. Do you really think God called us here? Well, at the time, I thought the Lord was, was calling me to take this job. And as I recall, you took a little convincing. Oh, great. That's just great. God speaks to everybody in this family but me, apparently. <laughs> you know what? Do me a favor. Let me know what he has to say about sending our daughter to a war zone. Well, good morning, Watertown and Wilmington Courtyard Sanctuary. Those who are joining us online, glad you can be with us. Good to be together today. Have you ever felt like running away? Running away from people, problems, life as you're currently experiencing it. Children are famous for threatening to run away, especially when they have the meanest parents in the world. <laughs> they usually don't make it out of the neighborhood. Teenagers are famous for actually running away. About two million of them a year 
between the ages of 13 and 17 take off. Now, most of them spend two, three nights at a friend's house and find their way back home, but uh, some do not. Experts tell us that when teenagers run away, it's usually because of some problem that seems too great to face. Bullying at school, pregnancy, sexual identity issues, drug or alcohol problems. So they run. But even adults run sometimes. When I googled runaway adults, I picked up a little online uh, thread going on. Uh, begun by someone who posted under the name Enough is Enough from Marion, Arkansas. Where around here does an adult go when they want to run away? Not many places to go in Arkansas, I guess. <laughs> someone answered, like what kind of running away? Abusive spouse kind of running away? Or I can't stand this anymore kind of running away? Enough is Enough answered, neither really. I'm just tired of picking up the pieces and being expected to make everything okay. I need a break. I suppose there are times we all feel like running away, uh, when we just don't want to deal with it anymore, whatever or whoever it might be. But have you ever felt like running away from God? Maybe when He's asked you to do something you really don't want to do. Or maybe when you're not happy with the circumstances He seems to have put you in. Or maybe when you're just tired of doing life His way. I think it happens more often than we'd like to admit. And it happens to even the strongest of believers. Could be you're running away right now. Don't even realize it or aren't willing to admit it. Well, for the next four weeks, we're going to follow the up and down journey of a runaway believer named Jonah. Not just any old believer, he's a prophet, prophet of God, and a good one too. But at a certain point, he decided he didn't like what God was calling him to do, so he up and ran. Now, when uh, most people hear the story Jonah, they immediately think of it as just another fish story. In other words, a story that just is pretty hard to believe. I mean, is it really possible for a man to be swallowed by a whale and live for three days and then be spat up on dry land to talk about it? Now, most of us here believe the Bible to be God's Word, inspired, reliable, authoritative, infallible even in all matters to which it speaks. But this story presents some challenges. It's not just the whale or the great fish, as the Bible calls him. There are some other curiosities in this story. Like, for instance, the, uh, the fact that everything in the story is described as great. Great fish, great storm, great joy, great revival, great city. Everything's great. Fifteen times the word great is used as a descriptor in this story. It's larger than life. So, as people who take the Bible seriously, how do we read the book of Jonah? Well, there are a couple options offered by conservative scholars. The first is simply to take the book of Jonah as a historically accurate account to be read at face value. We know that Jonah was a real prophet. We know that Nineveh was a real place. And so we accept it as a historically accurate report. Now, there are some things that are difficult to understand or to explain, 
but we have to believe that the God who created the heaven and earth, the God who multiplies loaves and fishes, the God who could raise people from the dead, could certainly pull off this one as well. So that's one possibility. The other approach is to read it as a literary device. In other words, a, a story that's a, a genre of writing that's not meant to be understood historically. We all know that there are different kinds of writing. We don't, we, don't, we don't read a novel the same way we read a newspaper. And yet both of them can inform us. Both of them can move us. So maybe the story of Jonah is a kind of parable, like, like the ones that Jesus told. A parable, we know, is a story made up to teach a certain truth. A, a parable is set in a real time and place, but the, the action, the characters are fictitious. There was no Good Samaritan. It's a story that Jesus made up. But all his listeners understood that, and we understood it, and we get the lesson of the story. So maybe Jonah should be read as a kind of a parable. Or maybe it should be read as a, what we might call a historical drama. In other words, a story that is based on real people, real events, or real characters, but it's been dramatized a bit to make it more vivid and memorable and powerful. I mean, when we go to see a movie today about some historical event, maybe the landing at Normandy or the, the assassination of JFK, we understood that Hollywood is going to make the characters and the events a, a little more vivid. They're going to embellish it a little bit to make a better story. But we know that behind all of that, there are real characters and real events and real lessons to be learned. So we could have quite a discussion about the historicity of Jonah and how to read this book. But understand there are a variety of ways that Bible-believing people uh, are able to read and, and accept this story, even with all of its larger-than-life elements. So with that in mind, let's get to the story and see what we have to learn here about God, about ourselves, and about living on mission. So let's begin the first few verses, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. All right, so who is, who is this Jonah character? Now, we actually meet Jonah, son of Amittai, in another book of the Bible, book of 2 Kings. We learn that Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel during the days of Jeroboam II. And he was a good prophet who faithfully delivered God's message to the northern kingdom of Israel. He brought a message of blessing and expansion of borders, leading to a time of, of expansion in Israel's history. And so chances are, in this early part of his career as a prophet, Jonah is enjoying a season of success and respect and, and comfort. But then the word of the Lord comes to him a second time, this time with a more difficult assignment. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and Assyria was the most feared nation on earth at the time. Uh, this map shows us the, the nation of Assyria overlaid on the contemporary map, so you can see just how vast that empire was. For a couple of hundred years, the Assyrians terrorized the Mediterranean world, and I mean terrorized. They were every bit as fearsome and cruel as any terrorist group we might talk about today. They not only plundered the nations they conquered, they punished them 
as oppressive and every kind of evil and wickedness and injustice you can imagine and some that you don't want to imagine. Assyria threatened the very existence of the tiny nation of Israel. They were their enemy. And Nineveh was the capital of that evil empire. It was located about 550 miles northeast of Jerusalem in what we know today as Mosul, Iraq. Some of the ruins of ancient Nineveh can still be seen there. And archaeologists tell us that the walls of Nineveh were about 100 feet high, wide enough on top for three chariots to ride abreast all around the city. So while Jonah's first mission was to preach good news to his homeland, his second mission was to bring bad news to a dark and distant land. And he didn't like that mission, and so he got up and ran. Now, why exactly did he run? What didn't he like about this assignment? Well, there are a few possibilities. Maybe he ran because it was difficult. I mean, we already talked about what a large city Nineveh was. Later on in the text, we'll find out it took three days just to walk through the city of Nineveh. And remember, these are pagan people, so they have little interest in or respect for the God of some tiny nation called Israel. And they're 500 miles away, different land, different culture. This mission was not likely to be successful by any definition. So maybe it was the difficulty that scared him off. But he may have run because it was dangerous. We've already talked about what a cruel and violent people the Assyrians were. They bragged about their ferocity and about their violence. The Assyrians would not take kindly to one of their enemies marching through the streets of their city proclaiming doom and gloom. I mean, we know today what happens in certain parts of the world when dissidents speak out against an oppressive regime. The Assyrians might have done things to Noah that we would, Jonah rather, that we would rather not even imagine. So maybe it was the difficulty, maybe it was the danger. Those two things had to be at play. But the primary reason Jonah didn't want to go is because he didn't like God's plan. He just plain didn't like it. Now, we'll talk more about it in the weeks to come, but the bottom line is that Jonah hated the Ninevites. He wanted nothing to do with the Ninevites, and he certainly didn't want to see them saved. And so he decides to head for Tarshish. Let's come back to our map for a minute. Uh, Tarshish is probably referring to a city on the coast of Spain. Now, which direction is Spain in relation to Nineveh? Yeah, it's pretty much the opposite direction. And about how far is Tarshish from Nineveh? About as far as you can possibly get. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to figure out what's going on in Jonah's heart right here. But just so we don't miss the point, the text calls our attention to it. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. You see, Jonah wasn't just running away from an assignment. If that's all there was, he could have just stayed where he was in Israel and not gone. Jonah wasn't just running from an assignment. He was running from God. You see, if he stayed in Israel, what would have happened? Every time he walked past a house of worship, he would have been reminded of God's presence. Every time he heard the shofar calling people to prayer, he would have heard God's voice again calling him to go and preach. And Jonah just didn't want to deal with God's presence or God's voice. And so he decided to get as far away from that sound and that presence as he could. So he went down to the seaport of Joppa 
and found a ship headed for Tarshish. Now, have you ever done that? Have you ever run from something God was asking you to do or to be? I think we do it a lot more often than we think. This year, we are thinking about living on mission, learning that God calls us to join Him on His mission in this world, to save people from the effects of sin, and to put this world right, to make this world the way it was meant to be. And He calls us to join Him, each of us. And He calls each of us to a particular mission, something only, only we can do to join Him in this work. And that, that mission, we've learned, involves every aspect of our lives, our working lives, as we talked about in January, but our family, our friendships, our money, our free time, where we live, every part of our lives is involved. Now, that's, there's something really exciting and affirming about that. Our lives matter. We're called to make a difference. Every day matters, every decision, every relationship. But what happens when God calls us to a place or a people or a season that we don't like? Something difficult, dangerous, out of our comfort zone. We picked up some of that tension in the drama we watched a few moments ago. What happens when God's plan for your son or daughter's life doesn't line up with your plan for your son or daughter's life? What happens when your spouse senses a calling to something that you don't share? Or what happens when God simply asks you to do something that you just would rather not do? Well, sometimes we run. And not as obviously or dramatically, perhaps, as Jonah does, but in subtle ways, we put a distance between ourselves and God. We begin to find excuses for, for missing church. We drop out of that small group we're in or give up that ministry we've been doing at church. Our daily time with God gets kind of crowded out by other things. We, we begin to drift from our Christian friends. Now, it's not like we're abandoning or renouncing our faith. We're just putting some distance between ourselves and God so that we don't have to deal with His presence and His call. I've seen people do that in all kinds of ways. I've seen people do that when God calls them to address something in their lives that they don't want to address, some habit or relationship or priority that's, that's out of order. They really don't want to address it, but they know if they keep on coming to church or if they keep reading their Bible or they keep hanging out with their Christian friends, that they're going to hear God calling them to better things, and they'd rather not. So... They look for a ship headed for Tarshish. Things get busy at work. It's just tough to make church anymore. So much homework, can't make it to youth group anymore. Sports, hobbies, the kids' schedules get in the way. They buy a vacation home that takes them away a lot of weekends. I've seen people run from God when He calls them to a new level of commitment. You know when it happens a lot? In stewardship campaigns. <laughs> the stewardship campaigns aren't just about uh, raising money. They're about vision and mission and change and commitment and all those sorts of things. 
I've been a part of a lot of stewardship campaigns in my years as a pastor, and every time, every stewardship campaign, people have left the church, every time. They'll say that uh, they don't agree with the vision, or too much talk about money, or not enough emphasis on discipleship, or outreach, or missions, or you name it. Now, sometimes their pushback is legitimate, and, and we have learned to listen when people push back. But sometimes they're just ships bound for Tarshish. They're looking for a reason to walk away. And so they begin to drift out to the periphery of church life, or they go off in search of another church. One commentator puts it this way, there will always be a ship in the harbor waiting to take you to Tarshish. In other words, if you're looking for a reason to pull back from God's call, you can always find a reason. And you know what? God will let you. I mean, that's the remarkable thing about this story. God lets Jonah go. He doesn't arrange it so there are no ships in the harbor that day. No, Jonah gets to, down to Joppa, and he finds like there's a ship headed exactly where he wants to go. He must have thought, this is my lucky day. He might have persuaded himself, it's God's will for me to go to Tarshish. <laughs> he just so happens to have just the right amount of money in his pocket to pay the fare. Isn't that an interesting little detail? He paid the fare. The, the, the storyteller wants us to picture this whole thing. Here's Jonah at the ticket booth, paying the money, looking over his shoulder. He can't get out of town quick enough. And God lets him go for the moment. Let's keep reading, verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So God lets Jonah run, and he'll let us run too. But there are two things we need to know when we run from God. The first is that when we run from God, we put ourselves and others at risk. When you run from God, you put your soul and other souls at risk. No sooner do they get out on the water than a storm blows in so severe that these seasoned sailors think they're going to die. Now, sailors aren't famous for being religious. But here this whole crew is calling on whatever God they can think of to save them. Meanwhile, look where Jonah is. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of you and we will not perish. Now, you got to feel for these sailors. I mean, they haven't done anything wrong. They just happen to have a runaway prophet on board. <laughs> and here they are, pagans, and yet they're smart enough to realize somebody up there is not happy. But Jonah, Jonah's heart is so hardened to God and to the plight of people around him, he's sleeping comfortably in the hold of a ship. You see what happens when we run from God? We put ourselves and others at risk. Our hearts become hardened to His voice and to the plight and needs of people around us. We, we think we'll be happier without God's interference 
we, we think that uh, life will be better for us, for our loved ones, if we do it our way instead of God's way. And for a time, for a time, it may feel that way. It's nice to put a little distance. Life is simpler when you don't have to deal with God. We begin to get pretty comfortable on this ship taking us in another direction. But before long, a storm blows in, and we or people that we love are in danger. You see, when you refuse to face that habit in your life, that bad habit, because you don't want to give it up, when you settle for a lousy marriage because you don't want to put in the work it takes to make it better, when you run from one church to another to avoid God's call to commitment, you put yourself and others at risk, your family, your friends. They're watching you. They're depending on you. You may be God's instrument in their lives to point them towards God. They will live with the consequences of your decisions. And when God prompts you to reach out to someone in school, work, the neighborhood, when He asks you to open your home, to someone, when He calls you to some particular ministry that will meet the real needs of hurting people and you decide you don't want to do it, will you and they miss out on what God might do? Could it be, could it be that we, the church, Christ followers, are too often like Jonah? sleeping comfortably in our small groups and our worship services while the people around us go to hell in a handbasket. People around us are calling on whatever gods they can think of. Money, sex, parties, success, status, good looks, anything they can think of to bring hope and meaning and security to their lives. And, and we who know, are we speaking up? Are, are there people in your life, in your orbit, whose souls are in peril because you haven't answered God's call in your life? Very unsettling questions. But there is a second lesson to be learned here, and we need this one just as much. When we run from God, He will not easily give up on us or His purpose. When you run from God, he will not easily give up on you or his purposes. God lets Jonah leave town, but he doesn't let him out of his sight. In fact, he sends a storm his way. Now, I don't think God usually needs to send a storm your way. Most of us are capable of making a pretty good mess of things on our own. And life has enough storms blowing in and out that God doesn't need to engineer disaster to get our attention. But God will use storms, life, to get our attention. And when the storm isn't enough to wake up Jonah, then the Lord sends the sailors to find him. And eventually they figure out that he's the cause of the storm. And so he fesses up, sort of. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. They ask him what he's done, but he doesn't tell them. Now, he could have at that moment. He could have come clean, told the whole story, and said to the captain, turn the boat around, take me back to Joppa, and all this thing will settle down. But Jonah doesn't do that, does he? 
He's still resisting. What he tells them is to throw him overboard into the raging sea and the waters will grow calm. Do you see how far Jonah has fallen? He'd rather die than do God's will. Well, they resist the idea at first. They don't want to be responsible for this man's head, but it finally in desperation and in the spirit of repentance, they give Jonah the old heave-ho off the starboard bow. Look what happens next. They took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. Don't miss the irony of this. Jonah flees to Tarshish because he doesn't want to have to preach good news to pagan people. What does he end up doing? Preaching good news to pagan people. And they get saved. Jonah gets saved too, sort of. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah's ready to die to escape God's will. But God will not let him off that easily. There's a city that needs to be saved. There's a runaway prophet who needs to be brought back home again. And so the sovereign God works all things together. The forces of nature, the creatures of the earth, the pagan sailors, and even a disobedient prophet. God works all of it together to accomplish His purposes. There's no Coast Guard to send to the rescue, so God sends a great fish. And we'll talk about that next week. This Jonah is quite a character. But I'm afraid, as you realize, we are a lot more like Jonah than we care to admit. Like Jonah, we are all called to go and preach. Jesus' words, right? Go into all the world, preach the good news. We're called to the same thing Jonah was called to. And sometimes, like Jonah at the beginning, we eagerly answer that call and enjoy great success and fruitfulness in our, in our mission. But then God calls us to something we really don't want to do or don't feel adequate to, something scary, difficult, out of our comfort zone, and we want to run. The lesson is that when, when you run from God, we put your, you put yourself and others at risk. But God... God will not easily give up on you or His purposes. God loves us too much to, to let us go easily. God cares too much about this world to let His mission go unaccomplished. And so if you run, He will find you. And if you fail, He will give you a second chance. Because there's a mission that only you can fulfill, a mission God has called you to. And if you think that he's going to let you miss out on it because of some fear or foolishness, you don't know God very well. I said earlier that I've seen many people run from God over the years, and I have. I've seen most of them come back around again, too, and find their way back to God and his purposes. Now, there's still some unresolved issues here. It's not really a happy place to end the message today with a man overboard and us squirming in our seats. That's okay, we've got three more weeks to go. What I like about the book of Jonah 
the whole Old Testament is how, how honest it is, how real and gritty it is. The call to mission is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. It will test our faith. It will take us to deep places, but it will also lead us to discoveries and experiences with God that we can't possibly imagine, as we're going to see in the weeks to come. But today's lesson, chapter 1, comes with a warning and a promise. The warning is that when you run from God, you put yourself and others at risk. The promise is that if you do run, He's able to bring you back, to find you and bring you home again. Now, in just a moment, we're going to hear a song that gives us a little bit of time and space to think about these things, to reflect on God's call on our lives right now. But before we do that, let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you for this, this book, this scripture, this inspired story which speaks so vividly and so personally to us today. It is both uncomfortable and encouraging. Pray, Lord, that uh, through the message here this morning and in the weeks to come as we spend time in this book, that we might know more fully your call on our lives, that we might face our fears and our struggles, and that in you and in one another and by your Spirit, we might find courage and hope to follow you, to answer the call. In Jesus' name.